Amen. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter 6, as you're doing so, uh, some announcements. Sunday school teachers, if you were not able to get your lessons, uh, the new ones are on the office counter. You'll want to make sure that you pick those up before you go home tonight. Uh, so winning opportunity this coming Saturday at 10 o'clock. Uh, please join us and be a part of that if you uh, would please. Three weeks from tonight, we're going to start our summer kids club. And uh, there's a sign-up moms and dads out on the bulletin board. Uh, with your kid's name, T-shirt size, and so forth. Um, and uh, so, again, that'll start three weeks from tonight. I believe tonight is the last night of the Patch the Pirate program. And uh, so our staff guys will be uh, ready to go uh, for the summer uh, program. Um, how many got the little insert in here? Uh, this coming Monday, uh, the asbestos and, uh, abatement is going to begin on the boiler room. As you know, we, are, we voted a, a month or so ago uh, to get the new uh, uh, boiler in. Uh, before they can install it, we got to have everything, uh, the old stuff taken out, and it's all coated in asbestos, so we have to have a, an abatement done on that. Um, we were somewhat surprised on this to find out that when the abatement occurs, it'll start next Monday and it'll run through the 15th. It's a 10-day process. Uh, the entire educational uh, wing is going to be off limits. Uh, they're going to board everything up. Nobody, even though it's only the basement where in one room where it's going to be done, uh, all of it has to be boarded up. And uh, the, the, the company that's uh, doing it checked with the state just to make sure that that was the correct information uh, and so forth, and, and it is. So it's going to affect us just a little bit for the next couple of weeks, okay? This coming Sunday, everything will run as normal. Sunday school, morning service, evening service, everybody in the same place and so forth. But when you come in next Wednesday, everything's going to be very, very different. Okay, uh, for one thing, the lobby out there is going to become our nursery. Okay, um, and we're going to be bringing up on Sunday night uh, one of those uh, folding accordion walls that we have to cordon off uh, the, the far part of that, and we're going to bring our nursery supplies down and uh, so forth, which means the lobby entrance is only going to be for those who absolutely cannot use the entrance over here uh, where the stairs are uh, in the, behind the building on the missions hallway or the entryway up here, okay? Uh, I'm thinking of like Odessa, Brother Held, uh, Mrs. Reamers, and so forth. We don't want them having to climb upstairs or walk around the building and so forth. Uh, so the rest of us, we can sort of manage that a little bit better. Um, and we're not trying to inconvenience you. It just has to be done. We want to keep that kind of a quiet, safe place for the nursery. Uh, and if we have a lot of folks coming in and out of there, and at the same time, mom's trying to check their babies into the nursery area, that could get easily congested, and we don't want that to happen. Uh, for the next couple weeks after this Sunday, starting next week, those back doors will be kept closed. You can always get out of here. You just won't be able to come in those doors. This will be our only uh, access that we're going to use. Uh, for the services, again, not, none of these will be locked as in such you, you can't get out. Uh, it's just we want to come in and out of here, again, keeping that nursery area as quiet as possible and also keeping all the noise from the nursery area from coming in here uh, during our services. Um, we will have uh, this restroom over here right now is uh, seniors and handicap restroom. And it'll still be that, but we're just going to ask that if uh, we're going to have some uh, portable uh, restrooms and we're going to actually be putting them out here on the, this, this front area where it's flat and concrete uh, and so forth. I realize it's not the, the ideal thing to drive by and see it out front. But again, we're trying to, to uh, make it a little more convenient. We don't want necessarily everybody having to run up and down stairs out here. This is a little bit closer. What we're asking is that those, the restroom there, number one, it will be for the toddlers that are going to be in, in, in the nursery. And when a toddler has to go potty, you don't say, wait while somebody older is sitting in there reading their Bible. Okay? They just have to be able to go. But at the same time, we, you know, uh, you, you know, if you can't make the trek back there, I'm again, I'm thinking like a Mr. Held, a Mark Held, Mrs. Reamers, just throwing out some names there. Still use that restroom. But for example, 
Uh, I can make the little walk around here if I have to and, and use them. They'll be clean, they're sanitary, none of us really like them. But if you go to the park, you probably have used them and you survived and you didn't complain too much, okay? Uh, so there's going to be a little bit of inconvenience, uh, but we're going to be all right. Um, so on Wednesday, when you come in next week, those will sort of be the adjustments that we're dealing with. Uh, next week, all of the kids uh, are going to be here in the auditorium. We may tailor the service just a little bit uh, because we just don't have any other uh, real place safe to put them weather-wise and so forth. So we'll just all be in here just like the good old days, and uh, it is going to be fun, uh, fine. On Sunday, June the 11th, there will be no Sunday school. Simply, we don't have Sunday school rooms available for us. Uh, we have secured a small tent that will have sides that's going to be uh, back on the lot where we had the tent this last Sunday. And at the 11 o'clock hour, we are going to have a children's service out there for all of our kids ages 4 up through the 6th grade. And we're combining our, our junior churches for that, that morning. And so the kids will be out there. Uh, we're getting a tent that has the sides on it so that you know, in case you get a runner, uh, we'll have extra workers out there. For the kids, it'll probably be a big thing, you know, having, you know, you know, Circus Sunday or whatever they're going to call that out there. Uh, and we'll, we'll have the morning service in here, and that again will be at 11 o'clock. Once again, uh, that entrance will only be for those who absolutely, like the Fergusons, they, they really need to come in there. They can't walk long distances and so forth. Uh, and the rest of us, you know, that'll just give us something extra to praise Jesus about that we got uh, a few more of our steps in uh, for that. Um, and I, th I think that's pretty much it. Brother Tim, am I missing anything? Mrs. Clack, we, I don't know where she is. We talked about a lot of different, there. Does that pretty much cover what we need to know? Quickly, does anybody have questions about what's going to happen? It'll be next Wednesday night. The following Sunday, the 11th, and then the following Wednesday night. So it's two Wednesdays with the Sunday in between. Would just be a little bit inconvenience, but it's going to be so well worth it to have the new boiler, everything put in, and uh, this just has to be done. Does anybody have any questions about things? Okay. Um, let's, let's do our best to be in our places. Uh, let's do our best to have a good spirit. I know we don't like change. And, and I'm, I'm the kind, the older I get, I don't like change. How many can't wait till we get the chairs back to where they belong? There you are. See, we don't like change, okay? But we're going to survive. We're going to have, we'll, we'll just make a good time of it. And uh, we'll be putting this in the uh, bulletin on Sunday. And uh, we'll also be sending out a church text, you know, about some of these changes so folks are, are well aware of them. All right, did you find Ephesians 6 yet? We've been studying through the book of Acts. We finished chapter 19, where we saw the establishment of the great church at Ephesus. We are in an on-purpose detour for the next few weeks uh, as we study Paul's, uh, a portion of Paul's letter that he wrote back to that church at Ephesus that he started. I've been reviewing an awful lot of the background of why we're doing this for the last few Wednesday nights. I don't feel the necessity to do that. But remember the church at Ephesus had a great soul winning outreach un unparalleled in the New Testament. It also had a huge amount of spiritual warfare. Many of these people were saved out of an occult background. Spiritual darkness prevailed in that place. And so when Paul writes back to that great church, it's no surprise that he writes to them about the spiritual warfare. We are foolish if we think spiritual warfare was only something back then and that it does not exist now. In fact, the Savior taught us that in the, the last days that, that iniquity is going to abound, um, uh, people are going to be deceived and deceivers are going to abound, uh, so much so that even the very elect are going to be led, a, led astray with false teaching. Paul told Timothy, in the last days, perilous times shall come. If it was important for the church at Ephesus to, to understand spiritual warfare, and be prepared for it, I believe it is more imperative for us today 
than ever to understand it. We've got to get beyond giving lip service to spiritual warfare and the armor of God and understand it's imperative. We saw in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we are commanded, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's, it's fine to be physically strong. It's fine to be intellectually strong. But none of those things win the spiritual battle. We need to be spiritually strong believers. We learned in verses 11 and 13 to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's repeated twice. That is to emphasize to us that this is so important that we put on not part of the armor of God, not some of it, to, but to put on the whole armor of God. Verse 12, we find out that the enemy is not flesh and blood. It is principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world against the spiritual wickedness in high places. You don't fight spiritual warfare with fleshly weapons. This is not about willpower or anything like that. It is about accessing those things that God's made available to us so that we are strong and in the end we are withstanding that, that is an offensive thing. We are out there winning people to Christ and doing the work of God and, and living for God successfully no matter how wicked this world gets. We got to be very cautious that we're not falling into a mindset that says, well, uh, there, there's so much going on around us, it's just too hard for me to be a good Christian. Or this person, that they did wrong, so I, I can't be a good Christian. That's not a Bible teaching. That, that is an anti-Bible teaching. I'm supposed to put on the whole armor of God so that I withstand and having done all to stand. That means a defensive position. I'm not losing ground. I'm not giving place to the devil. That's spiritual warfare. Last week we looked at verse 13 in the beginning uh, of the armor of God. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, verse 13, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. In my Bible I wrote the words truth absorbed. Last Wednesday night I brought in my, my weightlifting belt. It's, it's about this wide. Uh, it's about a quarter inch thick made of leather. And historically the Roman soldier wore something very similar to that around what we call the core of the body. This is where your, your liver and kidneys and intestines and so forth are. Again, I'd always heard it said, I'd even taught it erroneously, I believe, that this was like a, a, a cloth belt that was wrapped around to hold the garment together, but that offers no protection in battle. A sword or a spear would easily pierce through a piece of cloth. Uh, historically, the Roman soldier wore this leather garment, it was called a girdle, um, and, and it, it, it protected the core. Uh, the Bible says we are to, to be uh, stand having our loins girt about with truth. The truth is the word of God. We studied that last Wednesday evening. You and I are to let the Bible inside of us, not in one ear and right out the other. Not just head knowledge of I can win Bible trivia, which I guess that's fine, but that doesn't make us a spiritual person. It's letting the word of God get down inside of us and affect us and influence us. We looked at Psalm chapter one about the man who is blessed by the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he doth meditate day and night. Looked at a number of scriptures on that. Keeping your place here, would you turn to Colossians chapter one? We'll follow up on where we left off last week, and then we're going to look at the breastplate of righteousness this evening. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. The Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, 
and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Paul's got this prayer for the church at Colossae, which, by the way, was probably started out of the church of Ephesus or by the converts from the church of Ephesus. He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, uh, with wisdom, spiritual understanding. Verse 10, to increase in the knowledge of God, to be strengthened with all might. So this is a recurring theme, especially of Pastor Paul to his people, that they don't just come to church, punch their, their attendance little, little sheet, and walk out and saying, well, I was there. But they understand that this is important, that we are strengthened within us with the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his will. Go back to Ephesians, this time chapter 3. And look, please, at verse number 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in earth and heaven is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit, where? In the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So loins girt about with truth, truth absorbed. Do those words describe us that we just read in Ephesians 3? Are we truly and honestly filled with all the fullness of God? Are we strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man? Um, if not, we are defenseless. We're defenseless because you understand this, the enemy would always strike at whatever part is vulnerable. And if you and I don't have this book inside of us. We're not meditating and feasting and studying and learning and absorbing this into our innermost being. You understand the enemy knows that and he's coming after us and we're not gonna be able to withstand or stand. Back in Ephesians chapter six, Paul goes on, standing therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. If you've ever seen the pictures of the Roman soldiers, if you ever watched Ben-Hur, you know, anything like that. The breastplate was generally, again, a very uh, thick piece of leather, and it was somewhat molded uh, to the, the, the chest area of the soldier. Most often, it was also overlaid uh, with some type of metal. Brass was one of the most common because it was a little less expensive. The Roman army, all told, had millions of soldiers scattered around Europe, Asia, northern Africa, and so forth. Um, and, and so it would be a, a heavy, thick piece of leather covered in metal to provide protection for this part of the body. What is the most important organ in the body located here, the heart, having on the breastplate of righteousness, protecting the heart. Now, we're looking at a lot of scripture. I don't have as much illustration tonight as I do scripture, and that is on purpose because the scripture is where the truth is found. Keeping your place in Ephesians, go all the way back to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs chapter four, verse number 20. And you might wanna mark this if you're able to do so because we'll come back here once or twice uh, before our study ends tonight. Verse number 20. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them 
in the midst of thine heart. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like let your loins be girt about with truth? Letting the word of God get down on the inside of us. Don't, don't let them go. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Look at verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The word keep is a military term. I told you the Bible ties together in an amazing way. In Ephesians 6, we're talking about the armor of God and this spiritual warfare teaching. And now we're all the way back in Proverbs talking about the heart. And Solomon uses a military term, keep. That means to guard, protect your heart with all diligence. Why? He says, because out of it are the issues of life. You've watched me for over a year pledge allegiance to the flag all the time or whatever else it is because there's something off here. They say it's not my heart. They told me that in the beginning and found out there was a major blockage in one of the arteries. I don't know what I believe is the problem right now, but uh, you let something happen to your heart and you're in big trouble. So Solomon's saying not only is that true physically, that's true spiritually. Keep your heart right. Guard your heart. Guard what influences your heart. Because out of that heart, everything else flows. Out of it are the issues of life. Follow with me, Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. The Savior talked about this issue. He actually talked about it more than once. Let's look at verse number 14. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. When he had called all the people unto them, he said unto them, hearken unto me every one of you and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. Now there he's talking about food, that type of thing, uh, and, and so forth. There was, uh, there was a big conflict about uh, uh, Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. And the Pharisees and the scribes in those days, hand washing was an elaborate ritual. You know, they'd just run their hand under a little water, put a little soap on it. Uh, I mean, they, they had to wring their hands so many times. They had to wash their hands so many times. They had to have their hands inspected and then wash them again. They had, each time they had to be dried on a, 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 a fresh, clean cloth. That the, it, was, it was ridiculous. None of it in the Bible. Uh, none of that. And, and so the disciples, they, they were just eating with unwashed hands. And, you know, these guys are flipping out over all of that. And when the save, that's what the Savior is referring to. There's nothing from without a man that entering in can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Anybody here have ears? Do they work? Okay, let's listen. He's going to explain in a moment. When he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, are ye so without understanding also? He goes, guys, this wasn't rocket science. You, you, you really didn't get that? Are ye so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever, uh, whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, spiritually speaking, but into the belly and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. He said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. And then he's going to explain exactly what he means. From, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. An evil thought might be an immoral thought. It might be a lustful thought. It might be a covetous, envious thought. It might be a judgmental thought. It might be a condemning thought. It might be a prideful thought. Evil thoughts are not just one little tiny thing. He said evil thoughts come from out of the heart of men. Adulteries, fornications, murders, they all start in the heart. Thefts, covetousness, 
wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So the Savior, he's, he's explaining it to his disciples. They, sh they should have figured this out. Uh, but it's, it's placed in the word of God for us, not just here, but in, in a couple other places in the Gospels. Our hearts are capable of great evil. Well, not me, just other people. No, no, you and me and everybody else. Who was the man after God's own heart? David, am, am I right? Who, who called him that? God did. Man after God's own heart. Tell me what David did. The shame of his entire life. Adultery with Bathsheba covered it up with the murder of her husband. The man after God's own heart. You and I are foolish to think, no, I'd never do that. No, no. The Savior's warning us, we need to be careful. Out of this heart comes forth all kinds of wickedness. That's why Solomon said, keep your heart with all diligence. Don't drop your guard. Be careful what you are allowing to influence your heart. Every time we pick up a smartphone, we pick, access, pick up access to one billion pornographic websites. Guard your heart. Every time you turn the television on, there's access to all kinds of wickedness. All kinds of it. I don't watch uh, network television or anything like that. I, I watch some streaming stuff so I can pick, you know, Andy Griffith or whatever, I, you know, that type of thing. But I'm noticing even on those things, they're now starting to put commercials on. I haven't seen commercials for the longest time. I'm going to be honest, I'm stunned. I'm absolutely stunned how many commercials have two men walking, holding hands and kissing in commercials or two mommies in the delivery room, um, transsexuals, commercials for all types of stuff, fruit juice and the whole nine yards. You say, what's that all about? That's about conditioning the minds of people to accept that as the norm. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Okay? The breastplate of righteousness. Guard your heart. In my Bible, I have beside that in Ephesians chapter 6. This is truth applied. Truth applied. You can be able to quote all the Bible that there is to quote, but if you don't put it into practice in your life, what you know is a waste of time. It is useless. In the last five years, I have learned more about health healthy eating, healthy living, exercise, things like that, than I've ever known. Um, and I've, I've changed my entire diet the whole nine yards. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I, I've, I've learned an awful lot. I'm continuing to learn. I'm no expert by any means on any of that. But I can know all the benefits of eating healthy and all the dangers of eating unhealthy. But if I still eat unhealthy, what does my knowledge do for me? Does it do anything? Not at all. When Trina and I were in Mexico, uh, uh, when she was down there for treatment back in the year 2017, Dr. Contreras, who runs the Oasis of Hope Cancer Hospital, he travels the world, travels the world studying cancer um, uh, theories and procedures and treatments that are being used in other nations and so forth, uh, studying them out, weighing them out, reading the research behind them and so forth. Dr. Contreras lectured every, every morning in what they called the treatment room. Uh, it was a room with a, a wall of glass and palm trees behind everybody. These amazing recliners that if I could have got one on the plane and brought it home, I would have done it. They were 
utterly uh, amazing. And uh, Trina would go in along with the other patients, and they'd all be in this room at the same time getting their treatments, and, and, and we could sit with them if we wanted to. And Dr. Contreras lectured, and he made this statement. He said he believed from that time that within about 25 to 35 years, one out of every two Americans is going to have cancer. And he said it's completely because of how we eat. All the prepackaged stuff, all the preservatives that we are, we are consuming. And then he, he just proceeded to give all of the mind-numbing data where your eyeballs start to cross and stuff like that to back all of that up. Um, so we, we, we get, get our mind armed with that information, but if we just go back and, and live on junk food, what good did the knowledge do us? What good did it do? Absolutely none. So the breastplate of righteousness is that truth that we're absorbing, we're, we're placing and we're strengthening the core of our being. Now it's got to be put into practice. Put into practice. Go with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And verse 46. The Savior says here, and why call ye me Lord, Lord? The double emphasis there, meaning these are people that are very, very solid in proclaiming Jesus is Lord, uh, I'm saved, uh, I'm trusting him. Lord means master. He said, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So you call me Lord, but you don't obey me. Why? What good is that doing? What's the point? Verse 47, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and, next two words, church, do with them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house and digged deep, truth absorbed, laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon a rock and having done all to what? To stand. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. We teach this to our children. The wise man built his house upon the rock and, you know, they got the rains came down, the floods came up and all of that. Uh, but what a powerful teaching. The breastplate of righteousness is where we take the truth of God and we put it into practice in our lives. Otherwise, it's of no value. Look at James chapter 1. I told you a lot, of, a lot of scripture, very little illustration. James chapter 1. The Bible says here, verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You know what the sad reality is? We have it all backwards. We're swift to speak and we're swift to wrath and very slow to hear. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all, circle the word all. I do word studies. Every time I read my Bible, I did it this morning. Um, and as I was reading John chapter 11, I'm looking up words. Um, have you ever looked up the word all, like in Strong's Dictionary? Do you know what it means? It means all, but it also means any. He's saying lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That means an excess of worthless behavior. Lay it aside. He said lay apart all filthiness. It also means lay apart any filthiness. We have a tendency to pick and choose. We pick our poison. What we condemn in everyone else, we might not do, but we excuse that which is in our own life. No, he said, you have to lay apart all of it. You don't get to decide, well, what they're doing is terribly wrong, but what I'm doing is really not that wrong. No, lay apart, how much of it? 
all of it, lay apart any of it, lay apart the whole of it. Um, we'll look at a statement. We're going to jump ahead. Verse 27 of this same chapter, pure religion and undefiled before God and the father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself what unspotted from the world. Yeah, we live in a wicked world. Wickedness is all around us. Foolishness is even bound in our very own nature. But God wants us to, to obey him in such a way, have a walk with him in such a way that this world's not spotting us. We're not covered with the filth of this world. Back to verse number 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Truth absorbed. Again, the Bible ties together over and over again. But verse 22, but be a doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That means in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, sees what, sees what is there, what is right, what is wrong. He beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the Bible, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So the breastplate of righteousness is where we take the truth that has been imparted to us and we put it into practice. We are not just hearers of the word, we're doers. And by the way, not just doers of the part that's easy or the doers of the part that we agree with or that we like. It's if, it, if God said it, that settles it period. It doesn't matter whether we completely understand it. Um, God's smarter than I am. Uh, how am I supposed to expect to be as smart as God is? If God said it, I sometimes just have to trust him that he knows better than me. Okay. How many of your kids know as much as you do? How many of your kids think they do? Okay. Um, but, but they don't so well. You know, my kids, they, they don't understand anything. And I've told them not to stick their fingers in the outlet and so forth. But they don't understand electricity and so forth and, and so forth. So I'll just wait till they're older to really expect them to obey me. Does that float in your house? If it does, I'm sure glad you weren't my dad or mom. We don't care whether our kid understands the concept of electricity. Uh, we just want them to understand the word no means no, don't do that. And one day, one day they'll understand why they shouldn't stick their wet, slimy little fingers in that hole or stick toys or sticks or, or wires or whatever else in there. Same thing needs to hold true of this. I'm never going to know as much as my heavenly father. So I need to trust that he knows best. He knows more than I do and just obey him, period. I don't get the luxury of picking and choosing. Are we okay with that? The breastplate of righteousness, truth applied. I want you to understand that this is a very practical righteousness. It's, it's truth put into action, but it's not a righteousness that we work up on our own. It is produced as a work of God. Follow with me. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Love to just work through this whole chapter, but time's not going to let us do that tonight. Verse number 8, familiar verse 4, by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not going to go to heaven because of how good we were, right? It's completely by the grace of God placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse 10. We know salvation is not by our good works, but verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, his referring to Christ, correct? We are his workmanship. If you take notes in your Bible, the word workmanship means masterpiece. I look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece. Half the time I look in the mirror, I think, ooh, 
it's just nothing all that impressive. Now, I've, I've seen, I actually saw a guy one time standing in a mirror in the gym and he blew kisses to himself and said, you're gorgeous. It's like, you're gross. That's about all I could think. But the Bible says we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Next three words, church. Unto good works. So it's God doing the work in us, leading us to good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is not just, this is not a legalistic type of thing. This is not, you know, uh, you know me checking and, and making sure every T is crossed and every I is dotted. This is God, that truth that I put on the inside that we, James told us to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. I get that inside of me. That, that word of God that Hebrews 4.12 says is quick. That means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that Bible is going to work on the inside of me and it is going to lead me unto good works. How many are following that? Look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter, boy, I love this verse. But we're going to start at verse three and end at verse six. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer mind for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, their salvation, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what this means? God is never gonna stop working on this masterpiece. Now, can, I can say that of myself. I can say that of you. We have the word of God on that. Now, sometimes we don't see God at work, do we? Sometimes we wonder, is God working in our own life? Um, Bench pressing used to be my, my easiest compound move because it didn't involve the leg at all. Deadlifting, squats were even beyond me, never tried it. But bench pressing I could do because you're laying flat on a bench and just pushing a bar with weight up. And I progressed very, very rapidly on that. And uh, a year ago, this last January, um, I was bench pressing 185. I had a goal that year of, of uh, bench pressing 200, and then the heart issue set in, and everything kind of got back. We started doing lower weights, trying to be very careful, watching the heart rate on my Apple Watch and so forth, and my bench press completely plateaued. Uh, when we realized it was safe for me to put the weight back on, I could not get... Uh, weighed up past much beyond 160, 165 pounds. It was frustrating. I plateaued. Uh, I was working. I was doing, uh, you know, dozens of push-ups every day. I was doing tricep work and bicep work. I was doing every, everything Sam told me to do. It was going nowhere. And Sam saw my frustration on that. He said, everybody, everybody plateaus on the bench press. He said, and just because you're not getting up more weight does not mean that you're not getting stronger. Does not mean that things are not happening. Everybody plateaus. Spiritually, sometimes we wonder if we're going anywhere at all. By the way, sometimes we're not because we're not trying. We're not giving ourselves to the things of God. We're coming to church, but we're not listening. Anybody that's taught, or preach, you know what it's like to stand before people and their eyes are just glazed over. You could be the most eloquent preacher in the world and they just really don't care. Sometimes we get like that. Uh, Matt preached a great sermon about growth and, and, and hunger and stuff like that on Sunday night. Sometimes we're not going anywhere because we're not reading our Bible or we're not faithful in church. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. We're not spending time walking with God and so forth. But even at those times, we have a promise from God that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You're not going to outrun God because we're, if you're saved, wherever you are, he is going to find you. He's not going to quit till you get to heaven and you're just like Christ. Isn't that a cool promise? 
I'm glad for that one because sometimes I feel like I've plateaued, but I can keep holding on with confidence. I may not see all that God's doing, but that doesn't mean he's not doing it because he is. Philippians 2. Philippians 2. This is a produced righteousness, produced by the work of God. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, if you have always, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now, what a great testimony. They didn't have to have the preacher around to do right. He's, he's a thousand miles away in Rome, there in Philippi, up in Macedonia, and they're still doing, still doing right even more. So he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for your salvation, work it out. God's given it to you. Uh, put it to use, put it into practice in your life. 4, verse 13, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Isn't that a great promise? It's God. So this breastplate of righteousness, truth that is applied, it is, it is God working in us, and he is going to, first of all, he'll put the will in us, the desire, if you will, the motivation, if we can use that word to pick up our Bible and read it, to pray, to witness to somebody, to pass out a gospel tract, to take a stand, to say no to sin. Um, he'll put that desire within us. And the Bible says also to do it. He'll give us the strength and the wisdom and the other's understanding to do what we're supposed to do. It's the work of God in us. Isn't that pretty cool? If any man be in Christ, he is a new what? Creature. This is what this is. Uh, how that is explained to us. Look, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse number 21. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, even as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, that's our sinful nature, our old nature, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Did you ever do something and it was wrong and nobody else was around? And you did it, and all of a sudden, you just felt this horrible thing on the inside saying, that was really wrong. Did that ever happen to anybody? Is there, a, is there a Bible word we can use to describe that feeling? Conviction. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. When he's come, he's going to convince or convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. So Paul's talking to these people here and said, you've learned Christ, and, and, and so forth, and you're to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And he said, and as you do this, uh, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, God is just going to work at us in us from the inside out to do right, to serve him. And when we do wrong, he's going to convict the living daylights out of us. If we ignore that, Hebrews 12 says he's going to chasten us. God's not going to give up on us. The breastplate of righteousness. We're, we're running out of time. I want you to go with me to 2 Samuel. And silly me, I thought I was going to cover all of these last Wednesday night, and I'm not even done with the second one. 2 Samuel 12. And when you're there, go to 2 Samuel 11 came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. One said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her 
She came in unto him, he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. This is David's darkest hour. This is the moment when the man, after God's own heart, the man who said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes, lusts after a woman and commits adultery. Why did David do that? Why did David commit that sin that night? Good answer. It's all contained in verse one. Look at it again. It came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. What was David's position? King. Today in warfare, the president of the United States does not go to the battlefield. During war, he seldom leaves the White House. Maybe to go to Camp David, something like that. Um, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't go to where the bombs are flying. Now, I, I realize we've had presidents, President Trump did it, President Bush did it, and so forth, that, uh, that they'll sometimes show up, uh, that they both showed up, one in Afghanistan, one in Iraq, and so forth. They came at like Thanksgiving or Christmas, surprised the troops there. Nobody knew they were coming. It was all hush-hush for security purposes, but they were in a, uh, a deep within uh, a, a very well-protected area. There were no bombs dropping there and so forth. The president, though he's the commander-in-chief of the army, does so from a distance of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of miles. Warfare in ancient times was not conducted that way. It was the responsibility, it was expected of kings that they were on the battlefield. Their presence on the battlefield was part of how they maintained their position as king. That was spooky when that shut off. Now, granted, the king wasn't on the very front lines, but he was right there. He was usually somewhere in the battlefield where he could see all aspects of it. He saw where the enemy's fortifications were. He saw where his various units were fighting and making their movements, doing what they should. There were messengers running back and forth from the front lines to him on a constant basis saying, we, we need reinforcements on this flank. Uh, they're, they're running low on, on supplies on this, this flank. And he's shouting and barking out orders, but he is right there in the midst of all of those things. That was his job as king. That's what David was called to do. It was the time when kings go forth to battle. David's soldiers were out there. David's mighty men was out there. Joab, the captain of his army, was out there. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. He was not doing right. He was not where he was supposed to be. He was not doing what he was supposed to be. And his heart was unguarded. Do you understand on the battlefield, there was no time for lustful thoughts. It was about survival. But David was not doing what he should have done. And he, his heart was completely exposed. And he drove him, he, 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 he walked into sin. He drove his family into utter chaos um, that some of his children would not survive because he did not have the breastplate of righteousness. It's, it's our protection. So we need to learn all this Bible that we can. We need to let it sink deep on the inside of us, but we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and obey it, not picking and choosing. This is not a buffet, but the whole counsel of God. We need to stop there. Uh, we need a, a little bit of help from some of you fellas. We'd like to get these pianos back up on the platform uh, from Sunday. The big one is coming all the way back over here. Um, and so if some of you fellas can help us with that, uh, we sure would appreciate it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible.